Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is your truly TJ Jones, and welcome to another edition of the State of the Saints podcast, where we talk New Orleans Saints. Got a good show lined up for you. On this edition, we're going to be talking about LSU winning the national championship. That's right. LSU Tigers are the 2020 national champions. We're going to talk about that game. And also, we're going to talk about some of the New Orleans Saints players and possible fifth-year options. But we have to start, of course, with the national championship game. LSU winning the national championship for the first time in 13 years. Now Burrow going to launch downfield for Chase. Who's got it? Touchdown, LSU. As they say in the bayou, les in a bon temps roule. Let the good times roll. LSU sits on the throne of college football. As they knock out the defending champs, an offensive onslaught, 628 yards. That's right. LSU is the national champions. They knock off Clemson, the previous national champions, by a score of 42 to 25. And this game right here probably shocked a lot of people, especially those in Vegas. <laughs> um, you know, I think at the beginning of the game, everybody was picking Clemson as the favorite. And, and people were really uh, kind of souring on LSU, which are reasons beyond me, because LSU has been doing this all season long. I mean, this was a team that was battle tested. I mean, I'm pretty sure they smelt like smoke because they've been through fire. I mean, they knocked off all of the teams that were ranked in the top five. That was unbelievable. And this game wasn't even close. I mean, at the beginning of the game, you seen Clemson, they went up 17-7, to and then all of a sudden LSU came roaring back. <laughs> no pun intended, that's exactly what happened. I mean, you look at Joe Burrow, 31-49, 463 yards, five touchdown passes, and he also ran for one. He had 14 carries for 58 yards. Joe Burrow, six total touchdowns. At the end of this season, Joe Burrow has 60 touchdown passes, six interceptions. He has five rushing touchdowns, 65 total touchdowns in a season. I don't even have to tell you that's a record. That is unbelievable stuff right there. That is like playing Madden on rookie. You ever played Madden on rookie? It's so easy, right? All you have to do is just throw streak routes down the field and you'll score touchdowns. <laughs> Not that I know. <laughs> but seriously, man, 65 touchdown total. That is unbelievable. And if you look at this guy from last year to this year, I mean, the stats are like night and day. It looks like a completely different person that is playing a quarterback position at LSU. Last season, Joe Burrow, I think, maybe had like 16 touchdown passes. I mean, nothing to hoop and holler at. They go out and they get Joe Brady from the New Orleans Saints and make him an assistant offensive coordinator and the rest is history. I mean, it's just unbelievable where this guy's career has taken. I mean, he's pretty much the, the number one pick in a draft. I don't think anybody is going to debate that, just like they haven't been debating all season if he was the Heisman Trophy winner or not. Unbelievable. I mean, this whole entire team is just loaded with talent. I mean, Jamar Chase had nine catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns. He could have easily had three. I mean, he actually dropped the pass that should have been a touchdown, but... I mean, this whole entire team loaded with talent. I mean, you got Jamar Chase. You got Justin Jefferson. You got Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 
You got uh, Terrence Marshall Jr. You got Thaddeus Moss, son of Randy Moss, and he's throwing these guys the football. It, it is just unbelievable the way that LSU has ran rub shot over all of their opponents this season for the exception of that Auburn game where they played in the rain. I mean, I mean, Chris Fowler said it himself, over 600 total yards of offense in this game for the LSU Tigers. I mean, the Clemson Tigers couldn't really do anything. Trevor Lawrence looked like a pedestrian quarterback in this game. And we all know that everybody is picking Trevor Lawrence to be the number one pick in next year's draft. I mean, he looked rattled. He looked confused. He looked inaccurate. I mean, he, he looked like a guy that, well, he, he's a sophomore. You know, he looked like what he is, which is a sophomore. And we sung his praises, and I was one of them. I was one of those people who sung his praises in last year's national championship game the way that he picked apart the Alabama's defense. And, I mean, basically made them say no mas. But this season, this year, in this national championship, I mean, he was overthrowing receivers, which is hard to do when you got two six four receivers on each side with Ralston and Huggins. I mean, it just it was just amazing the way that the LSU's defense had this guy rattled. He couldn't do anything at all. And, um, you know, it just made me realize that Trevor Lawrence definitely needs an extra year in college. I know a lot of people say that he's a ready product, but I don't see that. I mean, I, I just don't see it, man. The way that he was throwing that football, I think he needs to work on his mechanics, especially his accuracy, because I think it's going to hurt him on the, on the next level. Because if you are struggling in college with your accuracy, you're definitely going to struggle in the pros because the windows are much tighter. I mean, it's so easy for you to throw the football in wide open lanes because your receivers, I'm pretty sure, are as talented as, as the cornerbacks that they're going up against. And, and sometimes it's going to be a mismatch, so you're going to have those open lanes. But in the NFL, when you get to the next level, there aren't any open lanes. I mean, it, the lanes are really, really tight, and you got to be able to squeeze that ball in there. you got to be able to get the ball where it needs to be. And from what I've seen in this game, he struggled with his accuracy. But after the game, quarterback Joe Burrows spoke to the media. They had a great plan coming in. I mean, we knew they would. Brent Venables is the best in the country and at what he does. And, you know, he was mixing up the looks. I honestly couldn't get – couldn't figure out where they were blitzing from all night. We were just – we had great play calls, great great coaching staff. I mean, this was, this was a long time coming. This – speechless right now he was overcome with emotion justifiably so i mean all the stuff that this guy's went through i mean think about this you're a young kid your only dream is to go and play at nebraska the way that your father did the way that your brothers did and you didn't get that opportunity because nebraska didn't recruit you you end up going to ohio state end up backing up dwayne haskins and and backing up jt barrett yeah, I mean, so didn't really get an opportunity to play at Ohio State. You go to LSU, and the rest is history. I mean, this guy is a true walking, talking underdog story. And I think that he went to the right place because, you know, being from Louisiana, I understand about the whole underdog mentality, you know, especially dealing with Hurricane Katrina back in 05. You know, a lot of people rode off the state, said that we were a lost cause said that the state will never get back to where it was. And the state resurrected itself. And 
honestly, it, it became better in, in some cases. And I think it's the same thing with Joe Burrow. I mean, they probably wrote him off. Probably say, ah, oh, go send him to LSU. I mean, he, he's not going to be anything down there. And the next thing you know, he just makes all of those other colleges eat their words because they had an opportunity to have this guy on their team and they didn't take advantage of it. But, I mean, this guy from the first year at LSU to the second year is like night and day. I mean, his accuracy uh, improved. I mean, his, his timing improved. I mean, his, his demand of the offense improved. I mean, there's not really too much of a wrinkle in his game. I mean, I, I heard some, you know, officials and, you know, some media people trying to down this guy, talk about him and say that, you know, he, he may not be good on the next level compared him to quarterbacks like Daniel Jones. And I'm just wondering to myself, what have y'all saw in Joe Burrow for you to say that he can be Daniel Jones? I mean, you look at Daniel Jones when he played at Duke. I mean, he always had issues turning the ball over. Always. It wasn't like this was a surprise or anything like that. A lot of people thought that he was going to be uh, mediocre at best. The only thing that he had going for him was because he had Cutcliffe um, as his quarterback whisperer, and those are the, that was the same guy that worked with Eli and Peyton Manning. So people said, well, you know, the apple don't fall far from the tree when it comes to the quarterback play. If he – if he helped Eli, if he helped Peyton, then maybe Daniel Jones can be the possible real deal. But I don't see that in Joe Burrow. I mean, all I see is a guy that's just hungry, a guy that plays with a chip on his shoulder, a guy that goes out there and gives it his all and doesn't give up. I mean, people say that he's cocky, but he may be cocky, but not to a point where it just comes off as him just being a jerk. He's just confident in his ability, which you should be, and that's exactly what you want. Um, for your quarterback, you want him to have a level of cockiness to think that he can make all the throws and he has the ability to make plays. And what I've seen in that national championship game, the defense of Clemson, they were trying everything they possibly could to try to stop him, try to keep him in a pocket, try to neutralize him. But he overcame that. I mean, they were, I mean, I could think of other quarterbacks. If Clemson brought that type of pressure, probably would have went down. I mean, he was scrambling around in the pocket. I mean, he was channeling his inner Russell Wilson out there. You know, like they could not get to him. And he was extending plays. And we all know how talented the LSU Tigers wide receivers are. So if you're breaking off plays and you're extending plays, it's only a matter of time before one of those guys get open. I mean, we've seen Jamar Chase get hot. He had over 200 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, before that, it was Marshall. Terrence Marshall was out there balling. I mean, what, he had like four or five touchdowns in that game against Oklahoma? I mean, these guys... Uh, basically pick your poison. I mean, which, which way you want to do it? You can roll coverage over to Jamar Chase, but, you know, uh, Terrence Marshall is going to kill you. Okay, you can try to roll coverage over to Terrence Marshall, but Jamar Chase is going to kill you. Or Justin Jefferson is going to kill you. Or down the middle, uh, Thaddeus Moss is going to kill you. I mean, Clyde edwards Lear killing you out of the backfield. So many weapons on this team, man. So <laughs> it, this is just... This was just fun to watch the whole entire season. This was so fun to watch looking at this team and people are comparing these teams to the teams of the past. I don't think that you will ever see anything like this ever again. I don't think you will ever see this type of offensive onslaught week after week like the LSU Tigers put up. I mean, they went 15-0 and for the first time in team history. I mean, they go out there and they just demolish Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl. And then they go out here and in some cases basically destroy the will of the Clemson Tigers. 
But you got to give the Clemson Tigers a lot of credit, man. I mean, they are a good football team. I'm pretty sure they're going to be back. Dabo Sweeney is a great coach, great football coach, great football mind, good human being. I don't think there's a person on God's green earth, for the exception of Paul Feinbaum, that has something negative to say about Dabo Sweeney. I mean, he he coaches his his kids well. He gives them the confidence that they need. You know, he, he, he gives them like that whole underdog mentality, which I don't understand. Like, how can you be an underdog when you won two national championships in um, like the last four years? I just don't get it. You're definitely you're definitely not an underdog if you can achieve that type of feat. But nevertheless, the LSU Tigers are your national champions. Uh, once again, the first time in 13 years, the last time they won it was back in 2007. So congratulations to them. Coach Ed Ogeron, people thought that he was going to get fired a couple years ago because they lost to Troy. I mean, I'll never forget that game. Honestly, I, I can remember exactly where I was when that game was going on. I was in Planet Fitness. I was working out, and I walked in, and I looked at the score, and I seen that Troy was beating LSU in Death Valley. And I'm like, man, what in the heck is going on here? And when I seen, uh, I think it was Joe Burrow that threw the interception, and I was like, man, what is really going on here? You know, I was like, man, it's over. It's curtains for Ed Ogeron. But, I mean, he went back to the drawing board. He took a real good look at himself, and he made the changes, man. He brought guys in that can coach really well, and he became a facilitator. I mean, I think that's the best thing that you can do um, being a leader. That's the best thing you can do with being a leader is understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. And also, you know, being humble enough to actually ask for help and actually be willing to make the change. And that's what Ed Ogeron did. He got those coaches and he became a facilitator. And he went out there and he got Joe Brady from the Saints. And now he has a high-powered offense. And it's crazy because... For years, LSU has been one of those teams that has struggled to find a quarterback. I remember like quarterbacks would commit to the school, and then the next thing you know, they would turn it down at the last minute. Les Miles couldn't recruit a quarterback to save his mama life. But now I don't think they're ever going to have that issue anymore. I mean, you look at this offense and the way that they're running, I'm pretty sure every quarterback is going to be lined up trying to play in this offense. Um, I heard some rumors and a source that said that Joe Brady possibly could be going to the Carolina Panthers. That's very interesting right there. Um, I mean, I think this is all speculation at, at this point at, of the making of this podcast. But if he um, goes still, I think they can still run this offense. I mean, I don't think that it would be a, a, a issue because, honestly, he's not the one that's calling the plays. I mean, he, he's, uh, he's an assistant. I mean, so LSU has an offensive coordinator, so it shouldn't be an issue with, uh, you know, if he decides to leave. I mean, I'm pretty sure his playbook is going to remain right there at LSU for future uh, coaches to come because, I mean, he set the blueprint. I mean, he took this from the New Orleans Saints, and being a Saints fan, of course, and being a host of the State of the Saints podcast, I can tell you I see a lot of, you know, what the Saints do on Sundays, what LSU is doing right now, for the exception of the fact that, uh, LSU got more than one wide receiver to throw to. But once again, congratulations to the LSU Tigers. Great win, great victory, and a, a true underdog story for the ages. Uh, we move on. We got to talk a little bit about the New Orleans Saints. Uh, there was a story that was 
going around, courtesy of uh, thing who that who that dish. Shouts out to who that dish. Uh, they were talking and asking a question, which I thought was quite foolish. But the question was, should the Saints pick up Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchek's fifth-year option? Yes, this was really a question. This was really a question. Should the Saints pick up Ryan Ramchek and Marshawn Lattimore's fifth-year option? If you're smart, you definitely would do that, okay? I mean, first off, Ryan Ramchek, let's start with him. I mean, all he has done is be one of the best right tackles in football. And this season, in my opinion, he was the best right tackle in football. I mean, he didn't give up any sacks all season long. Got snubbed from the Pro Bowl. You, you, get, you put Andrews Pete in the Pro Bowl, but you don't put in Ryan Ramchick. Wow. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that, but he, he gets the right to be a first-team All-Pro, and, and I think they made the right decision with that. Thank you. Uh, Associated Press for understanding how good this guy really is and giving this guy the respect he deserves. In my opinion, I think a first-team All-Pro means more than a Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl isn't nothing but a popularity contest, but the first-team All-Pro is for you to be fully recognized, you know, for your talents. So congratulations to him. I think they should pick up his fifth-year option. And to be honest with you, I don't think that, you know, they should go into the fifth year without negotiating a contract with this guy. I think he should be the highest paid right tackle in football. He's earned it. He deserves it. And um, the Saints would be a fool to allow this man to walk out of the door. As far as Marshawn Lattimore is concerned, I know a lot of people in the Houdat Nation are upset with Marshawn Lattimore. You know, the way that uh, sometimes he comes out there and he plays really aggressive, shuts down half of the field. And then the next week he getting beat as if he's just a mere shell of himself. The inconsistency of Marshawn Lattimore uh, kind of bothers the Houdat Nation, upsets us in some ways because we know that this guy, if he was locked in, he can be one of the best cornerbacks in all of football. Uh, sometimes I think he, he struggles with, with focus. I think sometimes, you know, he, his head getting in the clouds every now and then. Uh, but I think he just needs to stay focused. I think – Marshawn Lattimore's biggest issue is he's not dialed in week to week. You know, like every week he's not dialed in. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get the next coming of Darrell Rivas or you're going to get the next coming of Fred Thomas. I mean, this guy is really good. He has all the tools. I mean, even Chris Carter said, I heard him say a couple times, he said that Marshawn Lattimore is lazy. I mean, this this came from a, a guy that is Ohio State alumni who was always around uh, the college and, and he has, he has numbers of all of these different young players because he mentors a lot of them. So I'm going to take his word for it. I mean, I've heard other Ohio State players say the same exact thing about Lattimore, that he he's lazy. I mean, he, he knows that he's good, but sometimes he just doesn't live up to the expectations. I mean, he doesn't live up to them. If he does that and if he dialed in every week, I mean, he'll basically be unstoppable. But I do think that, uh, the Saints need to re-sign him as well. I think he is the best cornerback that the Saints ever had. I mean, some people might argue with me and say, you know, I don't know, Eric Allen or somebody like that, but, man, these guys ain't touching Marshawn Lattimore. In my opinion, Marshawn Lattimore is the best cornerback the Saints have ever had. Marshawn Lattimore is one of those guys that can lock down the field, can shut down the, the, the opposing team's best wide receiver, and I have never seen no other Saints player do anything like that. I mean, Keenan Lewis, he tried, but Keenan Lewis could get smoked. You know, he wasn't a guy that I considered 
to be a shutdown corner. He was a decent corner, but he, he wasn't anything like Marshawn Lattimore. This guy's the real deal when he's dialed in. I think that he can go down as being one of the best cornerbacks in all of football, but it all comes down to the fact if he wants it or not, if he wants to be great. He got to he dare to be great. I mean, the same way with Michael Thomas. I think Michael Thomas wants to be great. He wants to be mentioned among some of the best wide receivers that ever played the game. That's what he gets up and tries to do. That's why you see him improve from year to year. Marshawn Lattimore, uh, he, he struggles with that. So if he gets that together, I think he will be one of the best cornerbacks to ever play the game. He has that type of, of ability. But I would definitely sign back both of these players. They deserve it. They deserve to be <laughs> – I can't believe I'm saying this. They deserve to be uh, with the Saints long term. In other Saints news, we got to talk about secondary coach Aaron Glenn. Now, Aaron Glenn, you probably heard me talk about him on a couple episodes of the State of the Saints podcast. Um, I had a, a YouTube video up called um, I'm Done with Aaron Glenn because um, I was really frustrated at year after year how the secondary just continuously give up big plays in crucial situations. Well, according to sources, the New York Giants are looking at him to be one of the possible candidates they interview for the defensive coordinator position. Look, I have really nothing against Aaron Glenn. Don't get me wrong. Um, He has done wonders for the Saints secondary. I've never seen him play with so much confidence, so much swagger in in my entire life, whole time watching the Saints team. I mean, usually the secondary, uh, you know, these guys play with little to no confidence at all. You know, and they go out there and they just get smoked like brisket, burnt like biscuits. But he did give these young guys a sense of confidence. You, you hear at training camps, you know, they, they're barking at the offense. They're talking trash. You know, they're out there when they make plays. They're walking around the field with a, a Conor McGregor walking into the octagon type confidence. And, and, you know, I'm glad that he brought that to the team. But the problem is, once again, they give up these big plays in crucial situations. And I do think that it's time for the Saints to actually move in a different direction. And this might be uh, the way that they can actually move in that direction. Um, I think Aaron Glenn deserves to get a shot as defensive coordinator. I think he is a smart guy. I think that he will actually get the New York football Giants defense to play with a lot of confidence, similar to uh, what the secondary has played. I think that these guys can improve because he demands excellence, man. You don't really see too much out of the secondary, you know, making too many mistakes during the game. You know, most of the mistakes come, you know, at the last minute. You know, I think it it comes down to a guy, you know, probably being nervous. I mean, it's the last play. I don't want to mess up. I don't want this guy to get behind me. And they overthink the situation, and it costs them. Um, You know, I think with the New York Giants, I think he can actually instill, you know, a, a sense of pride in them, a sense of confidence. And I think that you'll see these guys improve. I mean, the New York Giants... They, they have so many issues, man. I mean, first off, they don't have any stars on the defensive side of the balls for the exception of Jabril Peppers. You know, I mean, he came from the Cleveland Browns in the trade. I mean, I really don't know anybody else on the defensive side of the football for the New York Giants. They're just a bunch of faceless guys who go out there and make tackles. They need a guy that's a pass rush. They need a guy that, that that's, can be the face of the franchise on the defensive side of the ball. I think we all know that Saquon Barkley right now is the face of the New York football Giants, but they need uh, an identity on defense. So why not give Coach Aaron Glenn an opportunity to go out there? I mean, I think he would really be a good candidate. 
I think that they really like him. Uh, the NFL, a lot of people respect him. I mean, I think the Saints were afraid they were going to lose him last year because Josh McDaniel got some uh, coaching opportunity interviews, and um, the Saints thought that he might end up going to New England to be the assistant coach if Josh McDaniels leave. Of course, McDaniels didn't leave, so the Saints end up keeping him. But I think the Saints are really going to miss him, but I do think that it's time for a change. I think it's time to get a guy up in there, you know, to get these guys organized, to, to help these guys to get to the next level. I think that, you know, just like in, in any, you know, other phase in life, any other phase in life, you know, there are certain people that get you to a certain point, and then there's other people that can get you to the next level. And I feel like Aaron Glenn got them to that level where these guys have confidence in themselves, they have ability, they understand each other, they communicate well in the secondary, but it's up to these this other guy that can possibly come in to teach them some of the other things that we see them struggling with. For example, not turning their heads around. Not turning their heads around when they're guarding a the guy. I mean, I've just never seen so many secondary players, safeties, and cornerbacks who just don't turn their head around. I mean, usually when a quarterback throws the ball downfield, they're running towards the guy. I mean, it's nothing good can come from that. It's rather two things are going to happen. The guy's going to catch the ball over you because he's in front of you, or you're going to get pass interference called on you because you got your back to the to the uh, ball. So um, I think it, they need somebody up in there that can actually teach these guys, you know, to turn their heads around because, I mean, I think the Saints left a lot of interceptions on the field because of their inability to turn their heads around. So hopefully the next coach, if Aaron Glenn leaves, can teach them that. But to be honest with you, I don't think that Aaron Glenn can get these guys where they need to be as far as, like, getting these turnovers and, you know, teaching that that aspect, you know, of the game. Because if that was the case, then he would have done it by now and we wouldn't continuously have these problems year after year, time after time. I mean, you can talk about some of the talent on the Saints team, you know, or lack thereof in the secondary. I mean, the liabilities they have, like people like Patrick Robinson or P.J. Williams, so to speak, or even Marcus Williams in crucial situations. But at the end of the day, I think if the Saints eliminate those guys and other guys come in, I mean, if they're getting taught the same exact thing, we're just going to have a rinse and repeat type thing going, and I don't want that. You know, the Saints need somebody that's going to teach these guys how to attack the ball, how to get these turnovers, and and how to make sure that they're, you know, in the right position when the ball is headed their way so they can have good coverage. And finally, um, I want to talk about something that was very disturbing to me, uh, a video that I seen that involved wide receiver Antonio Brown. Now, if you haven't seen it, I mean, TMZ reported it. It was a video of Antonio Brown on Instagram Live, and he was in a, a argument with the mother of his children. I think she has three children with him. And they were, you know, outside his house. The police were out there. And Antonio Brown decided to show the whole entire world a dispute between him and the mother of his child. He's out there. The police is out there. He's cursing out the woman, you know, calling her everything, calling her bees, you know, calling her thirsty, you know, just completely just saying all type of outlandish, off-the-wall type things. You know, I understand, man. I mean, I've been in relationships. I, I get it. You know, people can't make you mad. People can't make you frustrated. But the way that Antonio Brown was going at this woman 
in front of his children. I mean, little small children out there. I mean, they're just walking around. I mean, they're too young, some of them, to even understand what's going on. And he's out there just completely insulting this woman in front of the kids. I mean, don't you know, like, if this stuff is on video, your kids one day are going to see this stuff. I mean, they're going to be old enough to understand this, and they're going to wonder to themselves, why is daddy out there cursing out mama like this? You know, why Why is he going crazy over the police? I mean, these kids out there, I mean, you're watching your children get in a police car. And you thought that it was just a good idea for the whole entire world to see that right there. Because you think that made you look bad, that made you look like you was pimping or something like that. I just don't know. But that was just the worst look. And that just made me just realize, you know, I, I mean, when I first seen it, I was so upset. I'll let you know what I was thinking. I was really ticked off and ashamed to share the same skin color as Antonio Brown. I mean, he, he was just an absolute disgrace. That's what I thought when I first seen that video. I mean, in some ways, I still feel the same way. But I think that this guy needs some help. I think he needs serious help. And the sad thing about it is, Nobody around him is going to be willing to make that sacrifice to make sure that he gets their help because they want to make sure that they continue to eat. See, those are the type of people that I don't want around me, okay? Shouts out to my best friends. Shouts out to my boy Chris, Mike, Julius, Marcus. I mean, these guys are some of my best friends. There's been times in my life where I've been tripping, you know, and these guys are willing to tell me exactly what's going on you know they they don't sugarcoat it with me and they they tell me that i'm out of position and they talk to me so i can get back in it antonio brown has a whole bunch of yes men in his camp because he was out there cursing and insulting the mother of his child and they out there co-signing and laughing and stuff like that And, and to top it all off he then goes and takes a bag of gummy bears shaped like penises I'm, I'm telling you the truth they were shaped like penises and threw him and threw them at the mother of his children told her to have a bag of d's and you know what i mean by d's i mean it was just man it was just ridiculous stuff right there i mean honestly i'm very shocked that antonio brown didn't go to jail because he could have easily went to jail you know, for cursing out the police. I mean, they could have easily, like, put this guy in handcuffs. I mean, he was out there talking about F the police and y'all need to do y'all effing job and all that kind of stuff there. And I'm like, these police have incredible restraint because they could have easily put him in the back of one of those cop cars that were out there. I mean, this guy is just over the top. And honestly, somebody needs to reel this guy back in before he really self-destruct because... In my opinion, I think his football career is over. I think his football career is over because there's not a team that is going to be willing to touch this guy or want to touch this guy with a 50-foot pole. Because, I mean, he's just so unhinged. You can't trust him. I mean, this guy has recorded conversations between him and coaching staffs. I mean, he has just basically just completely uh showed us the fourth wall 
I mean, he, he shows us that there's absolutely nothing to hide and he's obsessed with social media. And I, I think, you know, I was thinking about this and not that I'm comparing him uh, to this person, but, you know, this whole surviving R. Kelly docuseries that's going on, I think that the, uh, you know, everybody's been talking about mute R. Kelly, mute R. Kelly, don't, don't listen to his music. I think that people need to mute Antonio Brown. I think that people need to save this guy from himself because maybe if we stop looking at him, maybe that would be the, the fire starter for him to realize that he has a problem. But as long as he's getting the attention that he deserves, as long as the media continues to cover his stories, as long as he can find his way back into some new circuit, he's going to continue to do what he's been doing. So I, I think that it's best for the media to stop covering him. I think that it's best for us to unfollow him and allow this guy to figure it out before it's too late. And hopefully somebody in his camp, man, will see the light and say, man, look, some things just are bigger than money. And, and this guy right here, he's self-destructing. And I need to have a conversation with him before he actually does some really serious damage. I mean, right now, I mean, he just looks awful. And it's so sad because there are so many people out there that wish that they had the talent that this guy possesses, and he's squandering it because he can't get off social media. Very, very sad stuff. But this has been the State of the Saints podcast. Once again, my name is TJ Jones. Thank you very much for checking out the podcast. Be sure to follow on Twitter at SOTS Podcast 8. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com, search State of the Saints Podcast. Facebook.com, search State of the Saints Podcast. And previous episodes are available on Spotify and anchorfm.com. Till next time, all I got to say is, who that? <laughs>